This is a One and All Media podcast. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and today we're continuing a message from Pastor Jeff that we started last time where he's addressing the big question What are you living for? Pastor Jeff wonders if we're driven or if we're distracted. And if you missed the first part of this message, you can always catch up wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines. Let's join Pastor Jeff for the rest of this message. He's in Nehemiah chapter one. This is Today with Jeff Fines. I've learned to define life backwards. First determine the goal and then live life accordingly. When you stand before Christ and give an account for the life that you've lived, Did you know the goal? What is the goal of your life? The scripture is clear. To be saved by the mercy and grace of God, to be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to spend your life building the city of God so that people may praise the name of God because of your good works. Now, as we begin the journey, I have two easy questions, and that's it for today. And the length will be in comparison to your attention span. Okay? Number one, why are you here? Not not here, here. Who's responsible for the origin of your life? You didn't do anything in eternity past to earn the privilege of being born. Your whole life is a gift from God. Now, folks, there's only two worldviews when it comes to this. Either you believe that your life is a gift from God or you think you're here by accident. If you're here by accident and that's what you believe, you're really wasting your time in church. (laughs) Unless you're here to discover you're on a journey of learning. But if if you've made up your mind that this whole thing's an accident, what are you doing here? But if you believe that origin, you came from God, then that tells me that everything, not only your life, but everything about you is a gift from God. Everything. As you go down to the southern tip of Cape Town, South Africa, you can stand at this point, Mount Table, and as you look down, two oceans come together and meet, some of the roughest waters in the world. And the first time you go out and you stand there, it's, you can't really define it or explain it on a Google image, but you stand there and you feel the wind and you see the oceans. It's so majestic that there's something that overwhelms you. And the question that comes to almost everybody's mind is, wow, who do I thank for this? Who do I thank for this? 
G.K. Chesterton said, if my children have Santa to thank for putting candy into their stockings at Christmas, who do I have to thank for putting two feet into mine? Your life is a gift from God, man. He breathed life. You're here because of God. That's it. And the calling on your life is to be saved through the grace and mercy of God, to be sanctified by His Spirit, and to build the city of God. The second question is, is there a calling specifically on your life? You bet your life there is. Jeremiah gives us a clue. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hands and touched my mouth and said to me, I put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. There's a bicycle race in India. And the, the, uh, the purpose of the race is to finish last. If you finish last, you win. It's only 20 meters. So think about that. What is that? 60 yards. Only 60 yards. You balance on the bike without moving. If you put your foot down to catch your balance, you're out. So you've got to try to go a short amount of distance in the slowest amount of time while balancing the bike and it only moves just a little. Now imagine some Belgian racer who's visiting India and he pulls beside this park and he sees this race. And he says to himself, what do these Indians know about bike racing? He pulls out his you know, $5,000 bike out of the trunk, gets on the starting line, the gun goes off, sprints to the end, thinking that he's won, but he's actually finished last. Why? Because he didn't know the goal. What is the goal of your life? I have learned to define life backwards. First determine the goal and then live life accordingly. When you stand before Christ, and give an account for the life that you've lived. Did you know the goal? What is the goal of your life? The scripture is clear. To be saved by the mercy and grace of God, to be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to spend your life building the city of God so that people may praise the name of God because of your good works. Now, as we begin the journey, I have two easy questions, and that's it for today. And it, the length will be in comparison to your attention span. Okay? Number one, why are you here? Not, not here, here. Who's responsible for the origin of your life? You didn't do anything in eternity past to earn the privilege of being born. Your whole life is a gift from God. Now, folks, there's only two worldviews when it comes to this. Either you believe that your life is a gift from God or you think you're here by accident. If you're here by accident, and that's what you believe, you're really wasting your time in church. Unless you're here to discover you're on a journey of learning. But if, that's you, if you've made up your mind that this whole thing's an accident, what are you doing here? But if you believe that origin, you came from God, then that tells me that everything, not only your life, but everything about you is a gift from God. Everything. As you go down to the southern tip of Cape Town, South Africa, you can stand at this point, Mount Table, 
And as you look down, two oceans come together and meet. Some of the roughest waters in the world. And the first time you go out and you stand there, it's, you can't really define it or explain it on a Google image, but you stand there and you feel the wind and you see the oceans. It's so majestic that there's something that overwhelms you. And the question that comes to almost everybody's mind is, wow, who do I thank for this? Who do I thank for this? G.K. Chesterton said, if my children have Santa to thank for putting candy into their stockings at Christmas, who do I have to thank for putting two feet into mine? Your life is a gift from God, man. He breathed life. You're here because of God. That's it. And the calling on your life is to be saved through the grace and mercy of God, to be sanctified by His Spirit, and to build the city of God. The second question is, is there a calling specifically on your life? You bet your life there is. Jeremiah gives us a clue. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hands and touched my mouth and said to me, I put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Everybody in this room, you were formed in your mother's womb. God gave you talents and abilities. And when you grow and as you grow, even more and more resources that are a gift of God. Now, here's the problem. If you ever hope to find meaning and significance and peace in your life, here's what you got to do. You got to take what Jesus said about you. And that has to become more real to you than what the world tells you about yourself. You got to take what Jesus said about you. And that has to become more real to you than what the world keeps telling you about yourself. You say, hold on, Pastor Jeff. Wait a second. Are you telling me the word of God says that God shaped and formed me in my mother's womb? I don't like my shape. I don't like my form. And that's only because you still think that you were made for your purposes. And you've allowed the world to give you some kind of ideology that's almost impossible for everyone to reach. You're built just like God wants you to be built. You're made just like God wants you to be made. And the reason is he's going to call you to a place. Wait a minute. What place? There is a call on your life associated with the community of believers in which God will place you. Well, what are you saying? I'm saying you think you're here because you want to be here. <laughs> you think you made the choice to be here, do you? You're here because God brought you here. That's why you're here. You know what a church hopper is? Oh, yeah. Some of you are veterans at church hopping. A church hopper is a consumer. They move from church to church and they ask the question, can this church serve me? And some people will come along and say, you shouldn't be asking that question. You should be asking, can I serve this church? And neither are correct. What you should be asking, has God called me here for such a time as this? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do I know that? Well, you ask questions like, do you sense the presence of God here? Are you spiritually encouraged and challenged here? Does the pastor tick you off with long sermons? If the answer is yes to all of those, you belong here. But the ultimate question, you know what the ultimate question is? The ultimate question is this. Are you still here? Are you still here? 
I mean, you say, I've been here for eight years, but I'm still not sure this is a church for me. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. My friend Brett Mullen lives out in Palm Springs. He has a dog. You know, his dog is 15 years old, going on 16. You know anything about dogs? They live anywhere from what, eight to 15, depending on their size. This dog should not be alive. Now, be careful here, just a second. Every time I go visit him, I say, Brett, is that dog still here? That dog's in pain. That dog wears diapers. He can't see, can't hear. I mean, why is this dog still here? Some dogs just need to go be with Jesus. And every time I ask him that, you can tell. It kind of hurts him a little bit, so I stop asking. I always just ask his wife, is that dog still? She goes, yeah. And he doesn't go anywhere with that. The reason that dog's still there is because that dog is convinced. You know how dogs are? That's where he belongs. Now, my question to you is, man, you still here? You're still here because this is where you belong. And every event of your life has prepared you to engage in building the city of God. There's a trajectory in the Bible, moving toward Jesus as the ultimate Jonah, the ultimate Moses, and now the ultimate Nehemiah. But when you come to Nehemiah's book, something changes. Pre-Nehemiah, God has been working uh, predominantly through individuals like Moses and David and Joshua. But then we come to Nehemiah and something changes. In the redemptive arc of history, this changes in Nehemiah. The clergy can no longer do the work by themselves. They're working side by side, everyone else. Everyone is participating. Everyone's doing the work now, Nehemiah. The job's too big. Listen, let me read to you something that will just, I don't know, probably frustrate you. It's Nehemiah 3. Let me read a few of the verses. Verse two, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section and Zachor, son of Emery, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him was Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. I don't care. I used to wonder, why, why do I have to read this? It's like Dame worked next to Stephen and Stephen next to Roy and Roy next to Sam and Sam next to Susan, Susan next to Rebecca, Rebecca next to Robin, Robin next to Vivian, Vivian next to Samantha. I don't care, but I do care because then I realized the reason this is listed in the scripture like this is to show you that in order to get the task accomplished, Nehemiah tells us it includes men and women and ruling class and working class and merchants and clergy, blue collar and white collar all working together. And they predicted a day when all would be priests. Now you do know that. You do know you are a priest. You do. If you are a Christian, a Christ follower, the spirit of God is in you and the Bible tells you that I am no different than you. Uh, don't put me on that pedestal. I am no better than anybody else in this room, but neither am I any worse. We're all equal. We have different gifts, but we were all priests, every single one of us. Joey may be better looking than me, but he's no better than me. <laughs> right? That's just the way that it is. We're all priests. And somebody has said that if God in his providence has drawn us together, you together with hundreds of other people in the same place, then you have a gift that is needed here. There's certain people only you can speak to the way you can speak to them. You have certain hands that you can hold because of your life experiences that I can't hold. You have a certain heart 
that you can reach because of the way your heart has been reached. There are some people to whom you can be a prophet, a priest, and a king. And then he finishes by saying, there are certain ways you can build up the people of God and you would not be there unless God wants to use your gift in that community. Unless all the gifts are used, the community cannot do the work God has given it to do. Can I ask you again? What is the goal of your life? What's the objective of your life? What gets your heart going? What, what's your purpose, man? Surely you're not going to tell me that it's to build your kingdom and get more money and get more stuff because it all burns up. It's all gone. What are you doing? We cannot do this without 100% engagement. Most megachurches like ours have about 30% of the people engaged and they struggle and they get tired and they get burned out. Churches will burn you out because the 30% get more and more passionate about what's going on and they start carrying the load. And it's not right. If you are here, God has called you here, you've got to get out of the stands onto the playing field and say, yes, I will use everything at my disposal for the thing that matters most on planet earth, people far from God coming near to God. And I'm asking you to say yes and to do what I'm going to do in my own life. I'm guilty. I'm just as guilty as you are. Together we'll say yes and we will acknowledge that we have dishonored the house of God and made it a low priority. That we have committed sacrilege and given God the leftovers rather than the fat portions or first fruits. That we worshiped other gods and put our hope and trust in things that can never deliver. And that we will acknowledge that the posture of our life is not one of sacrifice or generosity toward the things we say we love most. Yes. I will examine my life from the top down. Yes, I will examine my life and ask, is God getting my best? And yes, I will examine my life and ask the big question, am I really contributing to the building of the city or am I merely soaking up the blessings of living inside it? What are you doing? In the Lord of the Rings, at the beginning of the two towers, this is the end, not the fake end. This is the end. This is the end. At the beginning of The Two Towers, the second Lord of the Rings movie, Gandalf battles the Balrog. And they plummet and they plummet into this incredibly deep chasm, down, down, down into the depths of the earth. And the name of that place, um, in Tolkien's terminology at least, is the uttermost foundations of stone. And the spiritual analogy that, analogy that Tolkien makes is that the utter foundations of stone is the bedrock, the very bottom Okay, so at the very bottom of your heart, way down deep past everything, is a, is a foundation, a rock, the uttermost regions of your soul. Now, you are other things. I mean, everybody has an identity. You may be uh, an American, Italian, Indian, Hispanic, Caucasian, African. You may also be a mechanic or a plumber, a fireman, policeman, marine, athlete, actor, accountant. But your, your Christianity, your trust in the grace and the mercy and the call, it goes all the way past those things. That's why when you meet somebody from another place, European, uh, if you meet somebody from and you don't know them at all, but as soon as you discover they're a Christ follower, is it, there's a kindred spirit because of the essential you goes way down past, whether you're an American or a plumber or whatever you are, down to the depths. It goes to the uttermost foundation. Now you say, okay, Jeff, big deal. 
So whatever's down there determines how you live. So if Jesus has never made it down, down, down to where he is your ultimate identity, no. You'll still live your life for purposes that are futile. You may get some enjoyment out of it, but sorrow will still be central to your life because your soul knows very well what you're living for. Until Jesus makes it all the way down, and when Jesus makes it all the way down and becomes the foundation, the bedrock of life, then you will be like the Apostle Paul who said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What did he mean by that? Jesus has gone all the way down now. And when he goes all the way down, guess what you do? You die to yourself. You still have goals and objectives, but if they ever conflict with the ultimate goal or objective, you die to those things and live for Christ. And the Bible says you'll know them You'll know the ones who are following because the seed will go all the way down into the soil deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It won't be choked out and they will bear much fruit. Have you died to yourself? I'm begging you to examine your life. I'm begging you that this would be a day that would somehow be etched in your mind for the rest of your life so that when you meet Jesus, you'll remember the day that you decided, yeah, that's it. I'm dying to myself now. I'm going to live by the mercy and grace of God and his provision. But my ultimate goal is to build the city of God. We can do this, but it's going to take all of us. If the same people, what's the definition of insanity? If you do the same thing, expecting a different result. If the same people keep doing the same things and we don't get 100% engagement for what really matters, we will still be here 10 years from now. And I'll be here, but my heart will be broken. Come on, man. To think that we could impact the world. Oh, man. To get the gospel to the remote areas of the South Pacific to reach the final people groups, to finish the task of evangelism in Central Africa. To think that we could have four campuses in the valley with a care center in the middle where we have created the city of God. Oh, man. Step up, step forward. Come on, let's go. Father, I thank you and praise you for all your mercy and your grace. And I thank you that you are so merciful, that your mercies are new every day, but that the calling of our life never stops. You told us in the scripture that you'll know them by their fruit and that you'll know them by their love, that they would give up what is most precious to them, that they may gain something that is precious to you, that we would love people, that we would give up things that we love for things that we love more people far from God coming near. Father, we know what you've done in the past and we have no right to come before you and ask you for anything more. And yet you have shown us over the last eight years of the calling on our lives based on the reality that you've done in the past. We trust and believe that you'll do it again. In Christ's name.
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.